Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. A year ago, this thing called a coronavirus was just starting to really scare us. People out west were getting sick and dying. We were learning how it could spread and things started shutting down. Well, what COVID-19 did to business and the workers were was just devastating. This weekend, we're going to talk about the damage done and the way back. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend has been on this program a number of times, and she is perfect for this topic because her job is jobs. Karen Norrington Reeves is CEO of the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. That's an agency that's been around since 2012, and it's exactly what the name implies, a partnership between Cook County and the city of Chicago to develop and guide people to jobs and guide jobs to the people, the workforce. And this last year has been a challenging one. Karen Norrington Reeves is a lawyer who has worked in the Maryland Attorney General's Office, the Justice Department, and the Illinois Citizens Utility Board. She was a deputy director in the State Department of uh, Commerce and Economic Opportunity, and she was head of Cook County Works, the suburban Cook County Workforce Development Agency that precedes what she heads now, so she knows jobs. We are continuing to practice social distancing, and this interview is being conducted via Zoom conferencing. And Karen, welcome back. Thank you so much, Craig. It's good to see you and hear you. Well, and likewise. And what a year it's been. Uh, Thinking back, how quickly did the bottom fall out of the Chicago area job market as COVID fell upon us? Wow, it fell out pretty quickly. And I remember... You know, I've been doing this now for the past year, having these discussions about the data. And I remember very vividly looking at the spike in unemployment insurance claims filed in May, I'm sorry, in in March and April and in May. And uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was just tremendous. We saw like a 10 tenfold increase over the prior year at that same time. And now since March of last year, we've had 1.4 million unemployment insurance claims filed. Wow, that is, that is stunning to hear. And, and at the outset, how does an agency whose mission is to get and keep people working cope with a situation where suddenly no one's working? So it, it's not as 
it's not as black or white as no one's working. There was a huge shift in the type of work that was of demand. And certainly there was a, a significant increase in the number of people who were not able to work. Um, one of the things that we had to do was pivot very, very, very quickly. And we ourselves had to take our entire labor force remote. Um, and one of the things that we had to do was to be able to be responsive to both the individuals who were suddenly out of work and, and not able to actually get unemployment insurance. Uh, so those folks who were still wanting to work and couldn't. And then we also had to meet the demand of the employers that were looking for a new labor force. So we saw just an onslaught of hospitality, tourism, and retail jobs just go away almost overnight. And then similarly, we saw an increase in the demand for transportation, distribution, and logistics jobs, as well as manufacturing and healthcare. I want to ask you about some of the, the mechanics of just servicing your, your clients on the business and the, uh, the employee end, because I don't know many phone systems that are, uh, that are <laughs> geared or, or, or designed for remote operation at that level. Uh, I mean, that, that must have been a real challenge and, and maybe a frustration uh, on either end. So one of the things that was really positive for us was that just about three weeks ahead of the shutdown, we had pivoted our entire technological infrastructure to a cloud-based system. And we had all just moved onto Microsoft Teams. And so we were ready to send the whole, our whole workforce um, remote. We set up an 800 number. We uh, added an additional page to our website called Work Now that allowed for those employers that were still hiring to actually be able to post those jobs with us. And we developed a whole social media strategy an outreach campaign to help people know that there were still jobs available right then, despite the fact that so many industries were shedding opportunities at that time. Um, and then we also got some additional funding from the state that allowed us to work with employers to help them retrofit their shops uh, to be able to uh, address the COVID protocols at the time. So there was a lot of pivoting that happened uh, we moved all of our phone lines. We transferred all of our phones to our cell phones at home. I mean, it was just a lot of pivoting, but I was really proud of how flexible we were and how responsive our team was able to be and that we didn't drop any balls in the process. Hmm. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, all of a sudden we had hospitality work, and that was probably, I, I guess I'm, I'm correct in saying that that was the industry that got hit the hardest because you've Absolutely. got hotels, restaurants, uh, and a lot of people and very labor intensive, uh, places and they were out, but there, there was a need. How do you handle the flow out and in and, and what could, what were you able to do about that where you've got so many people that you've got to talk to about being out of work. Meanwhile, employers are saying we have a whole lot of other needs coming in. Right. So one of the things that's great about the hospitality industry, tourism, retail, those folks have some tremendous foundational skills in customer service and building relationships and engaging with the public. And so there was a great need for that type of skill set 
in other areas. So in um, healthcare, for example, so folks doing that patient care and being able to be responsive to patient needs, answering questions, um, also help desk, you know, with respect to IT. And, um, and then there, was, there were also great needs in manufacturing, but we were able to help those folks pivot into other industries to the extent that, that, that they sought that um, and really transfer those skills into other sectors. We also actually did our first virtual hiring events. So we shifted from the in-person hiring events, which you've actually attended, Craig, and um, we shifted those to virtual events um, in order to try and address the needs of those folks who were being shed from the hotel industry. A lot of the folks who were hotel workers could find employment with respect to uh, hospitals and clinics as well. Hmm. Um, were there other industries that seem to bear the brunt of, of this that you, I mean, did anything surprise you with what uh, people you had to serve or maybe people that were in pretty good shape? No, nothing really surprised me when you think about when you think about what made sense um, from a, an industry perspective, it made sense that people stopped traveling. It made sense that people stopped staying in hotels. It made sense that people weren't going out to restaurants and going out physically into stores. Um, and so we didn't have a lot of surprises in terms of the data. Um, if anything, what the data did was, what that whole experience really did was lay bare the economic disparities, the racial disparities, the over-representation of black and brown people and black and brown women in particular in service industry jobs and in jobs that did not provide protections that would protect them during this time uh, of the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of, um, You've heard, you've heard the, the saying, don't waste a, a good crisis, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. And this crisis, while not a good one, I think has created a lot of opportunity for growth and for change and for a dialogue and for a, a transparency that was lacking before. Um, this is the time for us to be, be really, really candid about what we're seeing in the labor force and how we see the disproportionate impact to black and brown folks in community. And were there things that had to be done and from your end to specifically address the, the disparities here um, that all of a sudden you're dealing with uh, people who are out of work who maybe don't have the same transportation uh, abilities that other people do if you find other work, that kind of thing. Does that add another layer to what you have to do? It certainly adds another layer of demand. I would say the positive thing is that the federally funded workforce development programs actually allow for supports with transportation, supports for childcare and such. And so um, I'm grateful that many of the programs that we have created or have been um, recipients of funding for actually have uh, built-in supports to provide some level of security to enable people to be a bit more stable as they're searching for jobs, as they're going through occupational training, as they are beginning their employment. 
um, the, the real challenge, Craig, was the fact that there was a greater demand on the system than ever before, uh, and not necessarily a corresponding increase in dollars to, to meet that need. Um, one of the things I'd be remiss if I didn't lift up was that um, we were able to facilitate the employment of almost 800 people in the space of contact tracing. So to be able to be responsive to that need, and again, those folks with the high customer service skills um, were perfect folks, perfect candidates to fulfill those roles. And so, um, but you know, those 800 roles pales in comparison to the, the thousands of people who were impacted and, and laid off. Although, and you, you, you will be, be pleased to know that the, the, the next line, in fact, the thing that I had just put my pen on was contact tracing mm -hmm. at that very moment. So we're, we are still of the same mind as we go forward here. Um, <laughs> but, but, but seriously, um, there were other things that contact tracing allowed you to do. I mean, that not only is it serving the crisis that we're in the middle of, but uh, I know that uh, that you, you and I know this. This some of this was part of, partly your doing. That the idea was that this isn't just a part-time job. This isn't just a temporary job. Exactly. So the city announced. I want to say it was um, probably late May. Um, announced last year that they were. Um, putting out a, a contract to uh, look for a, a coordinating organization that would be responsible for managing this contact tracing core and identifying 30 community-based organizations that would actually hire individuals in the community to serve as contact tracers so that they would essentially be ambassadors and serve as sort of a public health core to support this issue and make sure that um, we were able to actually trace cases to um, ensure that we were mitigating the spread of, of COVID-19 and also helping to treat it, right? So there was a, a resource hub that was also created as part of this. And so the partnership was really fortunate that we uh, came in and you know were able to secure this contract. We enlisted a number of other partners. We brought in Sinai Urban Health Institute, NORC at the University of Chicago, Malcolm X College, and UIC's School of Public Health to serve as partners with us. And we were able to uh, engage in a competitive bid process and procure 31 community-based organizations. And so through those organizations, we've hired uh, 600 individuals that started off serving as contact tracers, but have now pivoted. So about 200 folks are serving as schedulers for the vaccination pods, and then another 200 are serving as volunteers in those vaccination pods uh, where they are helping to staff um, to make sure that we've got folks cleaning down the seats, that we're helping to schedule people for their second shots, that we're you know, providing the service, again, that, that customer service to individuals coming in to actually get their shots. Um, and monitoring them when they're in the, um, the waiting space where they have to make sure they don't have an allergic reaction. So uh, it's, been, it's been really interesting. And then the, the other 200 are still actually doing the contact tracing and some of the resource hub work. Um, and so I think that that core is gonna be around for a while. We are just about to launch 
our efforts to ensure that these people go into long-term permanent employment. We are helping to fund training programs in partnership with these other organizations I mentioned. Um, we are really helping them explore pathways, career pathways within healthcare, either as being community health workers, um, looking at patient, scare, patient care specialists, and looking at other occupations within the healthcare field and, and other fields if they're interested as well. And so we will cover the cost of that training and help them with their job placement. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're talking about COVID and the workforce and a year of all of it. My guest is Karen Norrington Reeves, the CEO of the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. Um, healthcare has been another one of those areas where, yes, there's growth, but it's also so much pressure. Uh, you know, and, and you've had more demand because of COVID uh, people, and so many people losing health insurance, the health insurance that they would have had. Uh, how did that fold into what was going on and what you had to deal with? Yeah, healthcare has been, you know, there's just so many different issues on a national level, right? Just the, the number of people who don't have access to it. You would think in this country, we should have just sort of a minimum amount of uh, quality care that we're offering to people. The health the, the healthcare institutions have been absolutely overwhelmed with the number of patients, uh, with the, the need for um, skilled folks with advanced skills to be able to provide services. Um, we've partnered with the city in, ter in terms of helping to source talent uh, to refer on to both the, the, the Department of Public Health uh, and to our private institutions and our safety net hospitals uh, who have needed staff to help support the huge overflow and the huge demand. And I think we will continue in those relationships for some time, frankly. Mm. And, you know, so many people to service with so many needs. Uh, does it also... Did, how do you work with the fact that some of these people also have issues of uh, food and rent and, yeah. you know, the trying to get their unemployment benefits? Do you, I mean, does the partnership have to get into those things too, or is it really kind of reaching out to, to other agencies and working, coordinating with them? So it is a coordination effort is what it is. And it's, it's working collaboratively with the other agencies that are direct human services providers. So for example, you were talking about food insecurity with the resource hub uh, for the, con the COVID contact tracing core, the greatest demand that we've seen in terms of a request for resources has been around food, um, which is just incredibly sad. And so the resource coordinators make those referrals to the various food banks, the Greater Chicago uh, Food Depository, a number of others around. There's a lot of churches have been doing um, meal deliveries and, um, and handing out um, food baskets and such. And so we've been making those referrals to help coordinate the services with other agencies that actually have the expertise in that area. It's like you said, when, you know, the, 
this crisis has laid bare so many things about our our systems and yeah. and it is really about systems i guess that uh that you know if people look carefully you can see the mechanics of what works and what doesn't work and i'm i sometimes wonder if people are looking carefully to see what you're seeing you know at the at the ground level because i know i know for example you know i'm out in the western suburbs and you would think maybe food banks wouldn't be as big a business here i've also covered the miles of lines of of cars trying to pick up goods yeah. even within the last couple of weeks at yeah. local food banks yes and and you know people would be surprised to learn of the suburban communities um, because we have perceptions about what it means to live in a particular area in this region. And people will be surprised to learn of the, the number of suburban communities with those incredibly long lines at food banks. And we certainly are very much aware of it. I, I would say to you as well, I mean, as you know, I wear one hat, but have uh, a reporting responsibility to both Mayor Lightfoot and President Preckwinkle and they both are keenly aware of this and have put so much energy and time into trying to make sure that we're creating resources for people, um, both of them managing the CARES Act funding. On the county side of the house, we have worked with the Bureau of Economic Development to ensure that workforce development is threaded into all of that CARES Act uh, energy, right? So they've created the rental assistance fund. They've uh, created a fund where they literally were giving cash assistance to people. Um, they've created some funds that utilize the dollars to help support manufacturing firms that could then actually manufacture PPE and other materials that were relevant to, to this crisis. Um, they've helped to cover the cost of some of the job training as well through some of the CARES Act dollars. So we And also on the county side, we've assisted them with hiring people on for um, their different public health needs as well. So making referrals of qualified candidates for their hiring. Um, on, on the city side, you know, shifting those dollars to really focus on those community-based organizations to help us with creating those career pathways for people has been really, really important. So I think that it has certainly, this crisis has not been wasted on our elected officials and understanding the magnitude and really trying to think innovatively about how to solve these problems. Indeed. And I, I, I've said this before, um, while there may be occasional headlines about how uh, officials at the city and officials at the county don't always get along, this is the one place where, and then yours is the one agency where there's no doubt that both county and city have worked together hand in hand without any real conflicts from the beginning. Let me let's talk about the kind of work that you have to do with the business community and how does an economy slowly start to spin back up to speed? I mean, how do you get the jobs and the people who are doing the hiring back into it? So one of the things that we're doing is these virtual hiring events to partner with employers and making sure that people are aware of where the opportunities are and that they're prepared for those opportunities. Um, but I, one thing I, I do wanna lift up with respect to employers and sort of the next wave, like what, what we do coming out of this pandemic, 
I think that this return to work, whatever that means, um, whatever type of work it is, really creates an opportunity for employers to shift some paradigms. So, you know, we always thought we couldn't work from home, right? But we've spent a year in many instances working from home. And so what does that mean for our workplace of tomorrow? Um, and we spent a year working from home as caregivers to children who've been educated remotely, as caregivers to elderly parents in many instances, and we've proven that we can do it. And so what does that tell us as employers? Because I'm an employer also, right? What does that tell us as employers that we need to do in, that we need to shift going forward? Um, we can't say anymore, you can't work from home because we've proven that we can do it and do it successfully. And so what types of flexibility do employers need to offer to folks coming back? Um, what kinds of flexibility need to be offered in terms of caregiving? What types of um, benefits need to be provided? And we talk about this pandemic as a public health crisis. We've also created a mental health crisis over the past year. And so what types of wellness offerings are we going to see going forward? What do we need to see? What do we need to challenge employers to provide is another question. And when we're dealing with those questions, how do we also deal with the questions about the technology not everyone, I mean, many, some jobs, frankly, I think there are going to be a number of jobs where they, they don't want their employees back. They, they're, 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 this is working, they're saving money, they're, they've shrunken their spaces. But are some people going to get priced out of the market because they don't have reliable internet or the such? So this may not be popular for me to say, but I don't think that that I think that's the employer's issue. I don't think that's the employee's issue. It strikes me that the employer should make sure that the employee has the equipment and tools that they need in order to uh, successfully perform the work. Now, that being said, you lay, uh, you lay out another issue. You bring up another issue. I said earlier that the pandemic has laid bare racial disparities and gender inequities. But the other piece that has come out certainly now more than ever before is the digital equity issue. And that is often correlated to race and, and to wealth. And so we know that digital equity is a workforce development matter. Uh, the bottom line is you have to apply for jobs online. You have to often interview um, via Zoom now, of course. And if you don't have access to broadband and you don't have access to a device, right? And if you don't have the skills to utilize that device, then you are at a grossly, uh, a, a gross competitive disadvantage. And so we have a responsibility to ensure that as we are preparing our young people, that as we as the partnership are preparing the labor force of the future, that we are ensuring that people have a, a minimum level of technological skills uh, in order to be able to be competitive. Is the partnership uh, going to have to, in some way, shepherd those kinds of discussions uh, to happen in the next, in the, in the coming year? Because I don't hear 
that many people discussing it in any kind of organized way, just people think, boy, things are going to be different. And that's as far as the discussion goes. So I've actually been a part of a, a number of panels in the past, probably nine months about this very issue. And I do think that there is a role for us at the partnership to play. We actually have uh, just retooled our policy team to focus on a policy agenda. And uh, some of that agenda has to do with equity, whether it's racial equity, uh, income disparity, job quality, uh, and, and, and gender issues. Um, but part of it is also looking at digital equity and what that means and how it impacts employability, how it impacts um, the ability to advance along a, a career pathway and how it impacts the ability to actually access a job. And so it, it is an important issue and it is an issue that people are listening to. I think that folks certainly have an increased awareness of now as a result of the pandemic. Um, but, you know, we, we have communities where the Southeast side, for example, there's, it's poor connectivity and we have got to lay more cable and we have to create more affordable options for families and individuals to access, uh, access technology. Karen Norrington Reeves of the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. Thank you so much for uh, joining me again. Uh, thank to, you. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.